Okay. Hello and welcome to the Popcorn Brothers. My name's Eli. And we are here to talk about movies and take long pauses between our lines. How are you today, Isaac? Sorry. <laughs> I'm good. It's been a long Isaac, day already. It just got started. It's three o'clock. Yeah, I got up I got up and I had to watch this movie, and then I went to another movie and I've cleaned I my bathrooms too. I've done a lot of stuff today I already, and I have to study both movies after today, this. <laughs> and I have to go band practice after this. My first band practice back in Memphis. It's a big day. I start. I, oh, I nice! Start my I job forgot tomorrow about that. Too. It's just wild. But yeah, it is yeah, exciting. that's exciting. Can, cannot cannot wait to be doing busy stuff again. So yeah, in case anyone who's listening doesn't know, we are the Popcorn Brothers Movie Club podcast. We take and review movies in theaters and trailers, and some of our favorite movies every weekend. Give give opinions back and forth on movies the other brother has not seen. And this week's big pick is Princess Mononoke. But we won't start there. We will start this week with, as we do every week, with This Week at the Movies. And this week, I saw 8th grade uh, Bo Burnham's flick. What did you see, Isaac? I saw Blind Spotting. So two very big movies. Movies that have gotten a lot of buzz that are very recently released. And we're excited to let you all know what we think. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say about that one, Isaac, because I plan to go see it pretty soon. And then following that, we will have a trailer. Cool. Uh, did you pick a trailer? I was actually looking it up right now because I was like, <laughs> oh, we didn't do that before we started I, I recording this. I plan to do that, but then I got distracted. What's mid-90s? Is that you know, How about that? Oh my gosh, that was the one you wanted to do last time, rough. but it doesn't look like anything's yeah, come out. My, there's a Mark Wahlberg movie if we wanted. It's all the same things. Well, we're recording only like three or four days after we did That's the last true. time, so this nothing's really come out. That's fine. I don't care. All whatever. Right, going up. Mid-90s, so we've decided on air for the first time that we will be doing this trailer for... The- <laughs> oh, it's an A24 movie. Now I'm really excited. I like A24 a lot, so that'll be that'll be cool. And then... um, Eli, this whole thing is running. What? Can you hear that no. thing? Oh, I must have something running somewhere. What are you talking about? There was a video running. Oh my gosh. On the website. Jeez. All right, as Isaac slowly learns to use a computer in the year 2018, we will somehow get through this podcast. I'm sorry, I really don't know how to do it. <laughs> All right, so let's start with this week of the movies then. Um, I saw eighth grade. Do you want to talk first or second, Isaac? Uh, you can go first since you're already kind of okay. Doing cool. It. So fine. I saw Eighth Grade today, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a kind of like a coming of age story for um, an eighth grade girl moving into high school, and it's directed by Bo Burnham. And it is the most uh, it is the most 2018 thing I have ever watched in my entire life. I'm fairly certain. And it's kind of it's <laughs> odd because I didn't think about the um, I, I I'm imagining how long ago it was now that I was in eighth grade and how different it was and like wh- whether or not I had a phone like I probably had a flip phone and I could text with ABC. I know we like barely had phones back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's like there's like a line in this movie. I didn't get a phone until I was in seventh grade. Yeah, but so I probably got a phone. I only could basically text, and we only had a hundred text messages a month. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that too. I had to call people after nine p.m. I remember that too. Yes, you were not allowed to call people until after 9 p.m. and it was free. 
<laughs> so yeah, there's uh there was a lot of cool stuff about this movie. I'm gonna go ahead and preface it with saying this is the most like human movie I have seen this year in that it honestly just feels like you're watching someone's diary. Like it doesn't seem I know it's all scripted, but it's the best job of seeming natural and like realistic to me that I've seen mm-hmm. in a long time. And I, I, I can't really even like know because I'm not in eighth grade in twenty eighteen. Like I'm not at that age, but like the way, the way they go through things is really honest and really brutal. And at the beginning, they were covering really, like, lightweight topics, like you figured they would. Like, a little bit of, like, self-confidence coming out in eighth grade. And I was like, oh, man, I hope this movie does a little bit more than that. And then as soon as I thought that, it did. Like, it went into, like, heavy stuff. And it got it got pretty heavy. Like, it made me, it made me emotional because she goes through some stuff. And I think the experience is they're not over the top. Like, it's nothing so theatrical and crazy that it's unrealistic. And it's never too vulgar or hard to watch. It's just like it plays really heavily on the emotions that, you know, you experience as a teenager in a way that's relatable to people of all ages. And I found that fascinating and sad and beautiful. And the acting was all really good across. Actually, you know, I think the main characters, the dad and um, Elsie, is that her name? It's uh, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. She, that's the actress's name. Yeah. Yeah. Did a great job. They did a great job. Some of the friends, not so great. Uh, like okay but i mean you got a bunch of kids and high schoolers and i'm sure there was a budget so you know it was fine it was i definitely think everyone should go see this movie especially if you thought middle school was weird and you didn't know how to deal with your emotions at any point growing up this is a good movie to go see because i think it provides a lot of perspective and it made me think about things that i don't always get to talk about about like my childhood in particular like it made me remember things and like think of them in a different way in a way that i wouldn't normally try and think about this isn't the type of movie that i would normally see it's the same reason that i found what was that other movie i told you was interesting there's a similar movie to this that has um woody harrelson in it as a teacher it's um oh edge of 17 yeah yeah it's the same way i was like why do i feel things like this is like nothing like my life but it just (laughs) makes you think about makes think about your the situations you were in the relationships you had and like a little bit about you know, it, they write it so well that it seems to give perspective more so than just of the situation they're in because of the situations they put the characters in. And I think that's really great. And the directing was good. I feel like the directing was a little over the top, which makes sense because I think Bo Burnham directed it and did something else, right? He um He's an over-the-top person. So some of it was like a little, like the music got annoying to me because it was so like edgy, hipster, kind of like over the top. And then sometimes it was too cinematic on purpose. Like let's walk around with a low depth of field and not have anything to say about this shot just cause it looks cool. And so that was, that was a little bit on the nose, but the rest of it was very good. I give it a nine out of 10. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. I really want to go see it. So hopefully I'll get to before too long. I definitely think you should. It was excellent. So how was blind cool. spotting the other big movie? Um, so yeah, I went to see blind spotting, uh, which was written by Raphael Casal and David Diggs. David Diggs is uh, one of the original cast members from Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really fun. Uh, except for I was really distracted because when I was hearing his voice, I'm like, it's the guy from Hamilton and I can't not <laughs> differentiate it currently because he's not really been in a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah. Um, some people might recognize him. He did have a small arc on a Kimmy Schmidt okay. one season. Um, but so blind spotting is about this guy who's on probation and he only has three days left and without getting too into it because i don't want to spoil anything um he does witness 
a, a cop shoot a guy running a black guy running from the police and most of the movie is kind of about oakland well it's set in oakland and it's a kind of about gentrification almost and sort of the tensions that come with a place uh that's changing into something that it wasn't before and sort of you know the old ways and the new ways kind of colliding yeah and um parts of the so it's kind of about that but it's also sort of about um how so it's called blind spotting because uh that's sort of this term that um is is used or explains why you might look at a situation and you come at it from your perspective, but you don't necessarily see other factors that may go into a certain situation because you have a blind spot to those things. Yeah. It's just the way that your brain has been programmed based on your um, upbringing and your experiences and that sort of thing. So the the movie is about situations like that and the guy and his best friend and his friend is white, but obviously the main character David Diggs, he's black. And so the different ways that maybe that the way that uh, people will see situations that involve both of them and then can the way the different, uh, the way that people might be treated differently or people, they might make assumptions about one person or the other person based on how they look or what's going on and that sort of thing. So uh, I didn't really want to spoil too much of the uh, plot, but it's a very intense movie. It has some very uh, harrowing sequences and the tension is really nicely done in several spots. It's, it'll give you a lot of anxiety. Like there's no doubt nice. that some of the scenes are intense. And I will say that I would think it's a, <clears throat> it's definitely a movie that has themes that are important and certainly relevant uh, to a lot of the things that are going on in our society today. Uh, it's pretty well done overall. I can see how it might not get a lot of traction with audiences or maybe even in the award circuit because it's not exactly a really easy movie to watch, I wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't have like feel good moments. Well, I mean, it's traffic it's, was like that. Der- yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, it's conf- I mean, sometimes sometimes it does, but it's confronting all of these issues, and a lot of times people, I think, people don't enjoy their media necessarily if it does confront uh, those issues. Although that is absolutely a thing that we need yeah. uh, within media is for media to tell those stories, to confront these issues, and to start dialogue about them because that's really important too. Um, it was. It was a fairly well done movie. I liked a lot of the parts of it. Um, the acting was good. It is interesting that Raphael Casal and David Diggs wrote it and acted in it because it really feels like it probably has a lot of potentially their experiences and their own input into it. I don't know about that. I didn't really do a lot of research, but hmm. um, but it was really it was pretty good. I liked it. Nice. I think. <laughs> you think <laughs> okay give it a rating give yeah it. i don't know i don't know that's sort of, of a that, it's one that you have to digest i think it's one that you kind of have to think about and i just literally got back from seeing it less than like an hour ago so mm. i'm still digesting it still thinking about it i don't really like to make a lot of comments on movies like that if i haven't had time to think about it um mm. but it's definitely interesting and t- topical and uh I liked it better than Sorry to Bother You. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and they both sort of are confronting 
in that same way, I think. Um, but this one is much more uh, real and direct than Sorry to Bother You, which we talked about last time, is uh, much more over the top and surreal in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good summary. I'm going to go see it. I'm excited to have a shared opinion. I guess next week we'll be able to, like, if we both see the opposite movie, we'll, we'll still need to see another movie. That'll be tough. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, because I do really want to see Blind Spotting. I'm not sure what's going to come in the next week, so maybe we just flip it next week and like actually give back the reviews. Perhaps I'm definitely going to see Eighth Grade. Hopefully, at yeah. some point too. Cool. So. Oh no, I, do, I actually I might go see Three Identical Strangers. I've been thinking about that pretty heavily. So, um, I really I will go see that the weekend that it opens too. I'm just not sure that we're getting it this weekend. So, I, it's already out in Memphis. Well, Belcourt is the only people that are showing things. So apparently somehow, for some reason, Nashville is slower than Memphis <laughs> and some of these things. That's what you get for being small. Agile. Speed. Agility, Isaac. All right. Anyways, that's it for this week of the movies. So every week you hear a sound. And we watch a trailer. And as you heard us decide a few minutes ago, we'll be watching the mid-90s trailer today. And it is by A24, one of my favorite... Man, I cannot speak. Favorite uh, production companies? Maybe publishing? Movie publishing? What, what do they fall under, Isaac? It's a production company, or at least a distributor. Production company distributor was the word i was looking for anyways if you are driving do not stop driving if you're not driving pull up movie clips trailers on youtube and check out the mid 90s trailer number one and you will hear a short beat and when we get back we will tell you what we saw in the trailer here we go What is up, my peeps? We are back. We just saw the trailer for Mid-90s, the, I guess, writing and directorial debut of Jonah Hill. Is that what it said, Isaac? That's what it looked like. That is what it looks like. And uh, it looks like we're going to have another movie in full screen. What are you thinking, Isaac? You think so? Oh, I didn't really even notice that. Uh, It was all in full (laughs) screen. But yeah, it did. I did notice. I mean, I didn't really notice it, but now that you said it, I was like, oh yeah, it is in full screen. Yeah, so my first thought here about mid-90s, well, it looks like, we'll go ahead and say, what it looks like is going on is it's the story of a boy, a boy probably like uh, 8 to 12, very young, right? Uh, He would be probably 12, at least. Okay, so 12 to 14, you think? Maybe 10, I don't know. He looks like 8 is too young, he doesn't look 8. Finn's age in Stranger Things, he looks like he's that age. That's, That's my guess, I don't know what age that was, but... That's where I'm going to put it. Anyways, he's um, we're in the mid-90s, believe it or not. That's the uh, time period in which the movie called Mid-90s takes place. And the kids like to skateboard, and their lives aren't that great. And the main character, the 12-year-old boy, his older brother, seems somewhat abusive and controlling and kind of like he was traumatized at some point. And there's a... Uh... That feels a lot more traumatic than that trailer made it seem like. Oh, you me. didn't think so? <laughs> there was like... No, it, was it just like... made it seem like there were kids that didn't have anything to do, so they went around and dicked around that's what it looked like to me oh well that, that, you could be right but i saw it as um it looked like his brother beats him up like there's like a lot of like black eye and like bruce things coming out of the kid after the brother like bothered him for being in his room or whatever like stuff a normal little brother would probably do well so. but theoretically we didn't see that 
the brother actually do any of that stuff. I just That's kind true. of assumed that that kid was injured because he was skateboarding all the time. Okay, well, judging judging from what I saw, that's what I would think the trailer was implying here, but, you know, trailers mislead you on purpose, so it could be a number of things. There are no parents that were shown in the movies in, yes. or in the trailer, so... No parents, and uh, it just looks like a tribute to, like, mid-90s skateboarding and um, kids overcoming their personal problems by finding the, uh, you know, the the com- the spirit of skateboarding together and being in a crowd like that even though they're kind of rough around the edges and that seems okay i'm not i'm not opposed to it it um i thought it was bad about halfway through and then as it went on i got more into the idea and um yeah you know i think i'll go see it what what did you see isaac um i don't think i'll be going to see that it just looked like a rehash of a whole bunch of other things that we had already seen before yeah um, it definitely is not it doing something it- new not doing anything new and it didn't i mean it's like you have lords of dogtown the documentary or the movie if you want to watch skateboarding culture and And they're both skateboarding culture in a way that skateboarding culture in a way that people who i like i'm assuming that 10 year olds aren't like should not be the gatekeepers of skateboarding culture and they probably are you know what i mean like i don't know that that's the best representative if you're looking for what skateboarding culture would really have been like necessarily and then on top of that it doesn't really look like a lot of emotional punches were put in that trailer to me it just looked kind of slice of life-ish and i didn't really think that it there wasn't anything that really piqued my interest at all about it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Lords of Dogtown and Dogtown and the Z-Boys, which is the documentary's name, and this does kind of look like it might be overly pretentious and just kind of like um just kind of like taking that culture for aesthetic value and purpose and trying to make money off of it. And I don't know if that's the case. I'm sure he doesn't intend it to be the case, but that is like the feeling I got at the beginning of the trailer, which is why I, it had to convince me that I wanted to go see it towards the end, but I'd be willing to at least give it a shot. I just, I do feel like people are cashing in on like decade uh, aesthetic really heavily right now. And like replacing substance, replacing substance with aesthetic. And that's something that like, you know, doesn't, doesn't fly. And it, 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 people are trying it right now. And I don't really, I don't really see that being a thing. So hopefully it's not that. And uh, as a, as a love of skateboarding as for the love of skateboarding that i have i will at least probably give this a shot and i'll watch the next trailer to see if it gives any more hints so all right you good yeah i don't have anything else to say about it (laughs) yep that was the very average mid 90s trailer you can check it out on movie clips trailers on youtube.com if you haven't and uh yeah that's all we got to say about that one looks okay so now we will jump into something I have been waiting quite a while for, our second Eli animated pick in a row, Studio Ghibli, um, Hieo Miyazaki's Princess Mononoke. Yes, I do have a tattoo of the Kodama Forest Spirits on my left arm above the uh, elbow pit. Is that what you call that, elbow pit? I don't know what you call it. I don't part. know. Anyways, um, yeah. So um, I guess we'll just start with a little bit of... Uh, background or um production um not much to have to say about that it is an animated movie and it is a classic animated movie so all of these uh frames were done by hand and um it is beautiful i watched the remastered edition i have it on blu-ray and the colors uh they made them look just insane i actually this is the first time i've watched remastered and not the original one i had a copy on dvd a while back that was like the original cut which i think is what you watched online isaac and Holy moly, it looks... I thought it looked beautiful. It looks 
even more beautiful now and it was insane um i didn't look up any um other production stuff let me see if uh, there's anything i want to include that i didn't jump into you didn't look up anything did you isaac no i did think that the movie looked really nice though and had some good animation in it yeah it's uh i think it's insane um here's a little bit of the production so miyazaki um he began sketching things for this idea in the 1970s. So he had the plot line ready three years and the initial storyboards before um, three years before the movie like began production. And that's pretty impressive. He had all of the storyboards. So he drew out like the entire plot of the movie on his own. Um, let's see what else here. Uh, he paused the production due to writer's block, got a fresh start in 95, redrew the storyboards Mm-hmm. Uh, not too much oh the budget was approximately 23.5 million dollars oh no wait there's some computer animation during five minutes of footage i wonder where that is i was about to say some of the backgrounds to me did look vaguely computer animated almost like you know how disney started using the cap system in the early 90s and so that's why like the cave of wonders in aladdin and the uh stampede and lion king both have almost a computer quality to them or i mean in aladdin it's fairly obvious it's less so in lion king but i mean that cave of wonders is very clearly not hand-drawn at some points yeah but, um, i did notice there was one point i was noticing at the beginning you see like a, a wide shot and there's water and the animation on the water was like it was smooth and it was like recurring in a way that I wouldn't have understand how they were able to actually do that. And then, Oh, it says a lot of the demon flesh. There were moments where that was composed on with digital technology. That makes sense too. Yeah, I feel like I, I can think about. imagine that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, not much else about that. It's a, an original story. It's one of the first princess or studio Ghibli movies. And it is my absolute favorite. So we can go ahead and jump into the plot. I have a plot summary pulled up that I wanted to read because this is dense. This is not. I know I was about to be like, we can't get bogged down in one of your plot (laughs) summaries that does every detail because this is a long movie and it has a lot going on. It has a very lot going on. So I'm just going to read through this and summarize some of it, but it's it it shouldn't take that long. So it takes place in the I'm going to butcher this Muromak. Key Muromachi period of Japan between the 14th and the 16th century. And the movie starts with a demonic boar or a possessed boar attacking a village. It immediately jumps into the action. And that's when we meet our hero, uh, Ashitaka. And he successfully defeats the boar, but in doing so, touches uh, the boar, or the boar touches him, and he's has a curse placed on him and gets a black mark on his arm and um, decides that he needs to... Uh, get rid of that so there's a elder woman who's like really wise in the village and like throws some rocks on the ground and tells him that there's someone way out west that he needs to search for who can rid him of the curse so he decides to leave and on his way out of town he discovers that his arm has also given him super strength is that how you describe it isaac i think that's the case uh yeah he's got some sort yeah i mean he's much stronger than he was before so sort of in a uh outrageous way <laughs> yeah he, he's received a lot of power from this curse that had infected that boar and the boar was gigantic i don't think we mentioned that but it was it was it was a god so in this movie i think uh, just like the there's a lot of like original or classic japanese culture 
kind of ideals placed into the way things are designed, which makes sense. I mean, this movie's from Japan, but the um, a lot of the animals are like gods. They're like forest gods, and so they're in large versions of um, other animals that exist. So this was like a gigantic boar that they knew by name that had become cursed that ran into this town, and they were wondering why. So he heads off to find the reason the boar was cursed, the reason he got cursed, to cure it, and see what's going on out west. So he uh, stumbles upon a mining town. It's called Iron Town, and um, everyone is using it to make guns. And oh, I, di- I didn't mention they find a they find a bullet, a pellet. So like a, a a piece of iron inside the boar that attacked the village and cursed our hero Ashitaka, and that's what leads him to Iron Town because he hears about someone um, someone stealing iron from the forest or using iron from the forest to make weapons. And so he finds Iron Town, and um, the iron is rare, and it makes the town very wealthy. So it's um, it's good for them, but it also has to to get the iron. They clear out a lot of the forest, and that is angering the nearby animals, specifically the wolves and our other hero heroine, Princess Mononoke, and her name is San. So um, the leader of the town, Iron Town, her name is Aboshi. And her and Son are not getting along, and we see uh, from there we see a scene of Ashitaka stopping Son or um, Boshi from trying to kill each other, and we learn that um, Son was raised by wolves, and she um, hates humans for what they've done to the forest. And Ashitaka also does that, but he's a little bit more in the middle. So we learn that he's kind of playing both sides and just wants things to work out well and sees the benefit of neither side just completely wiping each other out between the humans and between the forest. So even though they're bitter enemies, um, they um, Ashitaka is trying to solve their problems. Aboshi ends up teaming up with um, Jigo, Jigo? Uh, a mercenary hunter, to obtain the head of the forest spirit because the emperor has sent a decree that says he wants it, and he, um, you know, it's supposed to give you immortality, is what they say in the movie, I think. So they successfully do that. They, um, There's a big fight that ends up forest versus humans, and Aboshi and Jigo are against um, Ashitaka and San, and they successfully, in a big scene, shoot down the forest spirit and take its head, but then the death of the forest spirit causes a flood of substance that kills everything it touches, and it starts going over everything towards Iron Town. And so uh, Jigo tries to escape with the forest head. Uh, Son runs off and saves all the people of Iron Town that don't really have anything to do with it. They don't know better, and he makes sure they're safe. And then heads back to Jigo to take the head back. He tries to refuse, but they take it from him anyway, and they give it back to the headless body of the forest spirit, which is at this point like hundreds and hundreds of feet tall and covering everything and destroying the world. And um, it takes it back willingly and revives the forest spirit and successfully heals them of their curses. So Iron Town was destroyed, but uh, Iboshi vows to build back Iron Town with uh, more respect towards nature this time so that it doesn't get destroyed and they aren't all ruined. And um, at the very end of the movie, we see San and Ashitaka together. They decide that they are not going to stick together, even though it says he is in love with her, I think, clearly at some point in the movie. Um, They decide they're going to see each other often, but they're just going to remain friends, and they go their separate ways. So Ashitaka to Iron Town to help them rebuild so that they're in alignment with nature and not working against those forces, and then um, San to deal with the forest spirit and keep everything in line on her side. That was... That was fairly concise, right? Oh, yeah. That's really nicely done. Because okay, uh, cool. there's a lot that's going on. 
like we were saying. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that's ge- definitely the general gist of it for the most part. Yeah, it was. Did it seem like it, there was more going on than you expected? Because the first time I watched it, I was like, "Wow, this is like it's like reading Lord of the Rings or something." It's like there's a lot yeah, going on. It, it is a lot going on, and it's a little overwhelming too because it feels like almost to me sometimes that you're not. It's not guiding you in um, which is supposed to be like the main plot line, I guess, to some extent. Also, they don't, I will say that, and it is interesting to watch something like this and kind of try to think about maybe like cultural differences. I'm not like, I haven't studied a lot of Japanese culture, so I'm not really familiar with it, but the introduction of characters Sometimes there is not really an introduction. It just drops you right in a scene and you have no idea who these people are or what's going on, but you have to (laughs) gather what, gather those things through. I had to like kind of watch this movie with the plot summary from Wikipedia pulled up so that I could like make sure that I understood each scene and Mm -hmm. how they connected to other scenes too. Yeah. I and especially with so many competing that's... groups, because there are a lot of competing groups, because there's the people from Iron Town, then there's yep. the samurai, then there's that the emperor's group of people, which I think I couldn't tell if those were three different groups of people, if there were only two. I was very confused at various points, but... Well, yeah, there was a there was a third. Um, there was the emperor who sent the mercenaries. There was Iron Town, and then there was another group of humans that came in to try and steal half the iron because they said they had claimed a part of the land that the iron was being mined from, and they were the ones that ended up attacking Iron Town while the rest of the story is happening. Yeah, so there are definitely parts where I can't. F- I mean, I know the people from Iron Town, but when they would introduce other groups of people that I that didn't really have much of an introduction sometimes. Yeah. I was confused who they were. (laughs) I think that's a little more common in Japanese media that I've watched for sure. They just kind of like, they just kind of like flowingly drop you in and expect you to like start picking the pieces up and then eventually it all just comes together. So which is kind of nice. Sometimes I, sometimes I can appreciate a film that doesn't necessarily spoon feed you everything, but it's, it's definitely not what I expect out of an animated movie since those are, since animation is, traditionally media that is for all ages or family friendly so i don't always expect the stories to be really complicated in that case yeah and this i i do think as much as this is like a a kids movie basically it's it has very little like kid elements in it like it's pretty violent at points it's pretty serious like there's language in it it's it's kind of more of a kids movie yeah, the language language doesn't really stick out to me as much because now that I'm an adult, I am kind of dulled to that. But the violence was <laughs> at various points, people's arms are cut off or even their heads are like shot yeah. off by an arrow. And I was very uh, <laughs> surprised by that at various points. I was like, oh, like the first time it happened, I said, oh, okay, so that's okay there. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, and it like it happens pretty early too. Like uh, right after he's cursed, it it throws all those elements in. So, all right. So before I get into like the themes, which we can talk about for a good while, because it's uh it's kind of there's a lot of ways you could view it and a lot of parties to talk about. Um, I do want to mention that something I really enjoy about this movie and something that covers what we were just talking about with the density and the number of characters. I feel like this movie does a really good job of fleshing out a lot of the characters. It doesn't flesh out everyone like that extra party. That's just coming to steal the iron. Obviously you never get a story from them. They're just there to add a little bit of chaos 
to the whole thing and like we'll talk about that in the in the thematic elements later on but i think all of the characters that the movie chooses to focus on it shows multiple sides of them and it does it very quickly and in a manner that i think is entertaining as well as like fluid to mm-hmm. actually bring about like a human a human perspective so like everyone everyone doesn't seem evil like they have motivations and sometimes those motivations are either for or against nature or for both parties to try and solve it out but no one there's no like decided antagonist really no one has just like the one dimensional like i'm the villain i'm gonna go do this and i don't have any reason like i don't do anything else like there's no redeeming qualities like everyone is fleshed out in a way that i find surprising and i always found surprising when i watch this because it makes the characters just seem that much more real and well thought out and deep well it gives the movie a complexity yeah everything about this movie i mean from plot to theme to characterization is certainly more complex than you expect out of american uh animation animated movies basically which are so it is interesting that it's not even though it's supposed to be aimed at children it's not dumbed down in any capacity but you're right that there is no oh well this person is good and this person is bad like it's a lot yeah there are a lot more shades of gray in a lot of those aspects of the movie which is interesting for sure yeah, especially when I say that, I pretty much refer specifically to um, uh, Aboshi, I think. Is that her name? Again? Yes. I think it's Aboshi. So her, because you you like, you like hear about her through the first quarter of the movie or so, and you're like, okay, there's some person in charge that's like stealing iron from the forest and using it to make weapons and clearly like has no care for anything. And you the, like she's the cause of the problems that are occurring for the characters and like all these consequences that are affecting the other villagers that exist around that area. Like she's doing it for a selfish reason to gain wealth and build her town, but is like hurting all these other people and we're like okay this must be the bad guy but you get there and you like see the women in iron town and you see the lepers in iron town and you hear that Mm -hmm. she like is rescued all these prostitutes and is like given them like you know a life that are not values yeah yeah something something for them to do and they're happy like you can tell they're happy in their town like they may not have that much respect for nature, but it's it's not they're not just like evil people there to be evil. And she clearly cares about humanity in a very deep way and is passionate about supporting other people. And I think that's 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 the one example that I think is easiest to dive into. And like, yeah, I think she's I the most memorable. Com- she is the most complex character, I think, of a film. And that's kind of why I liked her a lot. Uh, but up until the end, it is, it's hard because you do feel, get the feeling that she is, I mean, she's certainly antagonistic in some ways, but she, it's hard to classify her as like the main antagonist ultimately, because you're right. There are those elements of humanity in her that are brought out a lot. So if anything, the Jigo guy who actually tries to steal um, the yes. Four Spirit's head at the end is the most antagonist. And it surprises you because they introduce him as like a good character that kind of like ends up just out for his own motives. But even him in the end like realizes things. And you can tell that he has redeeming qualities early on in the movie. Like you see him interacting with... Um, with uh, what? Yeah, he helps uh, Ashitaka out. Even yes, though like yes. there may be... Even though he's always looking for what's in his own best interest he's not sometimes that helps other people out i guess you could say yeah yeah he's not he's not just another two-dimensional evil character even 
All right, so yeah, um, I guess let's get into themes. It's pretty obvious here. Um, this is a little bit like uh, I think we saw another environmental movie recently. Which one was it? It was uh, oh, First Reformed. So this is like, pretty yeah, obvious. It's just definitely like that First one. Reformed. <laughs> that this is all about uh, nature versus humanity and the way we treat each other and um how it could maybe be different and the consequences that might arise from poorly treating nature and um the reasons people treat nature poorly and how it potentially could be if we didn't so um what else did you see as far as themes ago isaac i I feel like it's pretty straightforward like as dense as the the as the as the plot is in the movie and the like depth of the characters i feel like it has a very obvious point it's trying to make throughout the movie um yeah i mean it's certainly about the environment and not taking advantage of it or destroying it uh if i suppose we can help it to some extent um but yeah that's definitely the main idea of the movie is not to destroy the environment (laughs) Yeah, and um, like I said earlier, there's like a few different ways you can see it saying, like different statements it makes within that theme about why you shouldn't destroy the environment. What happens when you do destroy the environment? Like one I just mentioned, like I think the unintended consequences to other other humans, you know, living near you or on the earth, if you destroy the environment are going to occur. Like the boar that runs through and kills villagers and destroys villages in a distant part of, you know, your land because you've driven them out of their home, like causing imbalances like that has farther reaching consequences than people who are just trying to build their immediate wealth, I think sometimes realize. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like the first theme that you see throughout it. And then obviously you see that, um, there has to be a balance and like if you if you take it too far and don't give any respect to nature at all then nature will probably like rear its head and destroy you somehow before restoring itself and then in the end i think um it's important to see or think that they're talking about the fact that you can live in harmony with nature and if you give respect to nature then it'll return that respect you can't just demand respect from nature when you do that it'll be received poorly and it won't respect you but if you initially you know put yourself out there i think the movie is trying to say that nature will in return respect you more and i'm sure that print or uh not princess uh hio miyazaki probably made this because he thinks there was a time where we were a lot better than nature which i think is without a doubt true and um we could probably get back to a point where we have a much healthier planet and um nature is probably more beautiful and will give us more if we actually work with it as a society and make those changes so that's uh yeah that's that's my little nature nature spiel there anything uh, you saw specifically outside of that isaac um certainly uh ashitaki as the hero uh is attempting to like you were saying kind of saying create balance but also he does that between parties in a way that's very much uh in the interest of peace i think um mm-hmm which I'm kind of reading about. And that's what it says uh, is that he's sort of trying to keep peace between and mediate between all of these different parties, which we said there are a lot of them, but um, so I think that that has a, has a part of it too, which makes sense because if the movie is about peace between the environment and people, certainly between different groups of people would be an offshoot of it too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I'm trying to think about um, things we missed. There is um, we missed some plot. I don't really want to go too far into the plot. There's just so much dense stuff in the plot that I could have covered that I didn't cover about like yeah. I mean, you like, got when, out when of the dies, ho- well. There's a lot of and- there's a lot of development. Yeah, between like San and Ashitaka that if you know that they're both the heroes and that they're eventually going to work together or that they have goals that will align that there's a lot of time. I actually kind of thought that would be one of my critiques of the movies that it kind of sags in the middle during that part. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that it necessarily had to spend so much time maneuvering between all of those. It just felt like it took the second act took a long time to get to the climax of the movie to sort of like that big sequence at the end. Um, And which is kind of funny because the whole thing gets cut up in your plot summary. A lot of those middle parts with (laughs) the wolf and with San and with Ashitaka is eliminated because ultimately it doesn't necessarily, it's not as closely important to the actual plot going forward, (laughs) but they spend a lot of time on it in the movie. Yeah, I do think um, I do think a lot of it is not directly related to the theme. It is part of the story, and I think it makes it more impactful. But there is a lot of like journeying. There's a lot of just clear things that I think are references, probably to classic beliefs in Japanese culture that I don't really know about, or like historical historical little tidbits that make the movie the way it is. Like, I mean, the tree spirits. We didn't talk about them at all. That I have on my arm. Like the different representations you get of nature and the way it's displayed, and like the the forest spirit, the main one having like a day form and a night form and all, all sorts of stuff that are really like fascinating and beautifully done in the movie that don't really fall directly within something that I can quantify into a theme here. I think at least not to my understanding of Japanese culture in general or possibly other Japanese history. So it's, um, yeah, I guess, um, one thing I do want to say is it's really cool that, um, I was talking about the whole respect idea in this movie and how if you respect nature, it'll respect you back. But if you try and demand respect, don't respect you at all. Seems like a thing he did here. Um, I think that um, a really a key thing that you might miss, but you probably notice as you're watching the movie, is that the people who are disrespecting nature, the um, the gods, so the nature gods, the oversized animals like the wolf and the boar and stuff like mm-hmm. that, they refuse to talk to any any human who disrespects nature as well. Princess Mononoke also does this. But once people respect nature, they like they will physically speak to them because they can. And then, I mean, San, so Princess Mononoke obviously can speak to humans. I mean, she is a human, but she also takes that stance and they have no conversation between those characters while they're at odds with each other which I think is a subtle but really cool way that they decided to, I think, you know, further cement that idea into the movie because it's not something that you would think of. Like you see that they're like fuming or feuding, but you don't like, you don't realize that they literally have no dialogue between each other while they're at odds. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, what's terrifying the apes in this movie, the ones that like want to try and eat him. Well, yeah, that's what, well, sort of to me, I had a hard time, because there were so many different sort of animal groups and the animal groups all had, it seemed like different motivations, but that's sort of what also kind of muddied who I was supposed to sort of be paying the most attention to in a way, I guess. Um, So it was kind of, I was confused by the fact that obviously if the main theme is the, is people versus the environment, or the protection of the environment. The environment didn't always work together necessarily, which I was 
confused by or they had different motivations at points um and also i'm thinking about this now but like theoretically people are a part of the earth and a part of the environment now obviously as humans are the most sort of um i guess evolved or can be destructive because there's so much complexity uh, in the human world, I suppose. And certainly we've moved away from nature as in uh, towards more of an urban type of uh, living situation. Most humans live in urban environments rather than rural environments. Um, And a lot of the things that we do in our lives are not beneficial towards the environment. And we certainly don't treat the environment necessarily with respect. It's just for our use, basically. That's how humans have come to see most of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it it's those sorts of conflicts were those sort of minor conflicts. They're really minor conflicts. Um, it was, it was muddied to me sometimes at points, but um, that's not I a bad thing. That. It's just, it's it just different. I mean, yeah, I don't know what it would be like watching it for the first time at this point because I've seen it like probably between five and ten times. So like I know what to expect. So it's hard sure. for me to put myself in that mindset. But I can definitely I remember not knowing as much as I know about it now the first time that I saw it. Like I don't think there's any way you can get all that, especially in like one long two and a half hour viewing. Like it just it just takes it would take it would take a ridiculous. Yeah, it really is to two hours and fifteen minutes long. Like Yeah. And I had no idea. I was like, right, oh. well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> also okay, so i'm really interested on here and looking at all of the cast members the people who did the english dubs oh, yeah. because i was, was like yeah, i could english. always hear these people's i could hear their voices and i was like wow some of these seem really familiar and i'm like i'm gonna look them up and i'm gonna be like oh yeah but i couldn't pick them out and they're all people i have seen in things but it's not like i don't know i kind of think actually one of my critiques of the animation like the uh, evolution of animation in america is that i don't like necessarily that all of the voices are so recognizable in movies now because that wasn't necessarily the way that they used to do them um Mm -hmm. it kind of changed sort of actually in the 90s but even when you look back at like lion king it has jeremy irons and matthew broderick in it who are not like you know, A-list actors, but now all the time they're using Johnny Depp or Angelina Jolie or people like that to do, or, you know, Amy Poehler, the voice of... Channing Tatum. Yeah, the I mean, Amy Poehler is the voice of Joy in uh, Inside Out is sort of one of the most egregious ones for me because I'm like, I could recognize her voice so... It's so identifiable yeah, to I, me that I don't like that necessarily. Yeah, I couldn't separate her from that character in that movie for sure. I yeah. just saw her face when she talked. It's kind it's a little much uh a lot of the time. So which I would yeah. prefer that they didn't use, but I mean looking at the cast list here, Claire Danes and Minnie Driver, Billy Bob Thornton, uh Jillian Anderson. Yeah. Also I'm not surprised by this. I'm like, oh yeah. The one that I was really looking for was Lady Iboshi, and that it's Minnie Driver. I'm like, oh, I can't believe that I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is funny um one thing i do want to say is i don't think the english voice acting does a good job of portraying the emotions sometimes of the characters in this like if you listen to the original like if you watch it with subtitles and listen to the original dubbing it's like the characters emotions make way more sense for what they're trying to say but i also think it's harder to understand because there's some moments in the movie i looked it up that are like the dialogue is changed so that it can accommodate 
Americans understanding sure. more what's going on because there's like there's like deeper references to things that are ingrained in Japanese culture that would never make sense to us. And you can see them when you watch the subtitles. They have more of that in there, but with the dubbing, they completely took a lot of it out. Well, so yeah, it, I mean, it that's sort of easier to watch. I mean, that's I mean, any movie really that has been done in a different language primarily, you're always going to have those uh, aspects that are sort of lost in translation just because the yeah. words, you know, there may not be a word for that exact idea like especially if you get into sort of ideas and there may not be a word for that in english i mean even when i took spanish i remember in spanish class we you might be like well what's the word for this and they would and then a teacher might be like well they don't have that as a word because that's a different or even like the way that you conjugate verbs or things like that it's just not the same so when you change that there's definitely going to be some things that get mixed up. And I can kind of undersee that sometimes, or I can kind of undersee that. I can understand that. <laughs> sometimes the I sometimes the characters, there were points that they fell flat. Like Iboshi's kind of one of the worst too, I would say, because we were just talking about how complex her character is. And I think some of that you understand afterwards, or if you really think about it, but it didn't always come across that way in the movie, I thought. Yeah, okay, that's fair too. Well, um, that's all I have for themes, Isaac. So I guess wrap us up with a big verdict here. Like, give it from front to back, all the... It could be from production and animation to plot to your final thoughts on themes and your overall thumbs up or thumbs down or rating, if you would like, on Princess Mononoke here. Um, It was good, and it was better than I expected it to be, I won't lie. I'm really not... Nice. I mean, I don't, I can't hardly sit through, quite frankly, I'm at an age right now where I can't really even sit through an animated movie most of the time and actually enjoy it. There are rare exceptions, which we've kind of talked about, Um, Mm -hmm. but that's not really my thing. Um, I did like a lot of the art. I'm not a huge, I'm not personally a fan of necessarily Japanese animation, but I thought it did a good job in a lot of points. There were some interesting, um, there were some interesting things in there. Um, and aside from sort of what we talked about with the plot being a little muddied, I did think it was a good story. I thought it was interesting. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the theme is, it had a good theme, and uh, but I liked it overall. Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear it. I, uh, I can see what you're saying. I do think this one, I think this one taps me emotionally more than most animated movies that I see, which is why I chose it. And it's such a beautiful day to be the two animated first ones. I think both of these are like really high up in the ones that actually like emotionally affect me and get me thinking as far as the animated movies that I love. There's a few more that we might get into later, but um, I, that's all I got for this week. Guys. Well, yeah, what's, I appreciated uh, what's on that. Top? It was um, more complex than, a lot of animated movies. I was like, I can almost, I thought while I was watching this movie, I was like, this seems like the plot of an actual like live action movie at points. So that was kind of interesting. I thought, um, I think it's the best, uh, studio Ghibli does too, is this one with that kind of like density or complexity and story. I think there's a couple other good ones I like, and the earlier stuff is definitely more so like that. And then they started kind of like gaining a Western audience. And I think they tried to like meld it as closely as they could. And Spirited Away was like the point where they really crossed into like, let's make this all ages and all audiences as much as we can. And they really succeeded in doing that. And they do that to this day. Or I think there's like one movie left coming from Hayao Miyazaki. But there's like 
some people running Studio Ghibli now that I think are also making movies. Anyways, it's um it's great and I'm glad you enjoyed it and everyone who hasn't seen it should see it. It is it is something to definitely get you into I think uh Japanese kind of animation style movies if you aren't already, which a lot of Studio Ghibli will do that anyways. It is it is to me the Disney of Japan. I don't know of any other animation studio that's turned out as many good movies as Studio Ghibli has, but I'm sure there's a bunch that I don't know about. So to be determined. Anyways, what's up for next week, Isaac? What well, I just changed my mind right here. So as long as you haven't seen this movie, uh, I have <laughs> things on tap for later, but I want to save them for certain times, of course. Um, but if you, as long as you have not seen this, which I haven't checked to you the last time I checked, you hadn't seen it. So I would like to examine my favorite movie of last year and watch Lady Bird. Ah, I have not seen okay, it. Okay, well, I'm Great. really interested, Perfect. especially after 8th grade, which to me, 8th grade looks like it has sort of a similar uh, idea behind it as Lady Bird to some extent. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that we could have a really great, interesting conversation about that. And um, I'm interested to know, because I loved Lady Bird, um, my friends did not love Lady Bird. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, one of my friends... Yeah, Aaron James, one of my good friends in Memphis, absolutely loved that movie and like demanded I go see it when it came out, and I didn't. So this will this will bring me up a notch in his uh, friendship book, and I'm excited to go actually find. Well, check great, it out. that will be what we pick, right. and then so um, if you're listening to this, go find Lady Bird. I'm pretty sure it's on uh, Amazon Prime, maybe Hulu. Uh, certainly, you could get your hands on it somewhere since it's actually very recent. It'll probably this that will be the most recent movie we've done. It's almost like within the last it yeah. came out within the last year, so. Yeah, it's crazy recent. So that'll be very cool. And um, that's all I got for this week. Anything else you want to say? That's all for me too. All right. Well, as always, follow us online on Twitter and Facebook at PBMC Podcast. And check out our website at popcornbrothersmovieclub.com. If you have questions or comments or like to talk, email us at pbmcpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, as always, we will be back next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, My name is Eli. And this has been The Club.